We are glad that you're here tonight. It's been a beautiful day. Grateful for the opportunity to be back. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12 in our study together tonight. We are continuing our theme, great chapters in Scripture. And uh, no doubt we could go back and do this again another year. There are so many chapters. And uh, there are some that we had to leave out. But we're grateful to have the opportunity to accentuate the ones that we have chosen this year. Tonight we look at Romans chapter 12, which is a practical chapter for those of us who belong to the body of Christ. In other words, practical by way of application to how we're to live and interact with one another. And so we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12 in just a moment or two. I do want to say thank you for being back tonight. We hope and pray that your weekend, the long weekend, is safe and enjoyable. If you have plans tomorrow, we hope that you have a great day. And uh, if you're having family over, we trust you'll enjoy being with family members. I do want to say how much we appreciate the men and women who have served this country so faithfully through the years. We have the opportunity to worship God without fear of outside harm because of the sacrifices of so many great men and women in days gone by. And so I don't take our liberty lightly. I'm grateful that we live under the banner of the red, white, and blue. The protection that they afford us is, what a, well, it's just a great blessing, isn't it? And so we ought not ever take that for granted. Tonight as we look at Romans chapter 12, Paul in this chapter is emphasizing how we as God's people ought to live. And you know, it's one thing to obey the gospel. And really when we obey the gospel, we're just getting started. We are said to be babes in Christ. Peter said in the long ago, if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Well, we've all been the recipients of God's great grace and mercy. And so tonight we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I do want to make this observation. I know that we have some changes coming up by way of our classes. I think that begins this coming Wednesday night. Is that right, Jared? And so there are going to be some new classes that will be offered uh, I know there'll be an adult class. Tyler's going to be teaching that on Wednesday night in the back. And so it might be that you want to avail yourself of one of the new classes. We appreciate all of our teachers. And tonight, we certainly want to encourage all to be a part of Bible study this coming quarter. Uh, one of the great ways that you can plug in and learn more is to come to Bible class on a regular basis. Brother Dio teaches a class on fundamentals. I know he'd be happy to have you, and we're so grateful for all who teach. Tonight, as we look at Romans chapter 12, Listen, if you would, to what the, Paul, the Apostle Paul said nearly 2,000 years ago. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable service. In verse 1, we have what I would suggest to you is an exhortation. The Apostle Paul is writing to people that have been baptized into Christ, they have demonstrated an obedient faith. He mentions that in chapter 1 at verse 5. They were beloved of God, as he would say in chapter 1, called to be saints. Paul acknowledged that their faith had been spoken of throughout all the world. His desire was to go and to visit with these brethren so that he might impart some spiritual gift that they might be established in their faith. And so we have Paul writing to the saints in Rome. 
And he begins by making a request of these people. It is a personal request. It is a powerful request and a profound request. Again, he's writing to people who have obeyed the gospel. They have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that had been delivered to them. They were no longer the servants of sin, but now they have become the servants of righteousness. In chapter 7, verse 4, he says they have been married to Christ. And so they enjoy a very special relationship with the Lord, as do we all. So his request is that they would present themselves as a living sacrifice. But I want you to think about the requirement. The requirement is that they present their bodies a living sacrifice. This is a very specific offering, isn't it? And not just specific, but it is a special offering. Now you can go back to the Old Testament, and you can read about the patriarchs of old, and they offered animal sacrifices on a regular basis, didn't they? And then under the Mosaic Dispensation, they too offered animal sacrifices, and God legislated the kinds of sacrifices that they were to offer. Well, Paul is saying, as members of the body of Christ, that we have become priests of Almighty God. You know, under the Old Covenant, under the Mosaic Dispensation, the Levitical tribe, they had the opportunity to serve God in a priestly capacity. And yet, those of us who belong to the family of God, we are priests of God, aren't we? As a matter of fact, Peter said, you're an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. In verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter said that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So God is desirous of us as His people offering unto Him spiritual sacrifices. In this context, Paul is saying that God wants us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And note if you would, he said that sacrifice is to be holy and acceptable to the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter talked about how they were not to slip back into their old way of life according to their former lust, as he would say. And why is that? Because we belong to God. You remember Caleb in the long ago? In the book of Joshua, chapter 14, the Bible says that Caleb acknowledged that he wholly followed the Lord. What is it God wants from us? Isn't God interested in our giving Him the entirety of our life? When we became a Christian, when we obeyed the gospel, in essence, what God was doing was laying claim to us and saying that we now belong to Him lock, stock, and barrel. Just like those who sign on in the military, they belong to Uncle Sam. The Bible says when we become children of God, we belong to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul said, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He said, Which you have from God. And then he said, And you are not your own. 
but you were bought with a price. Therefore, in light of that, he said, glorify God where? In your body and in your spirit. We have an outward man and an inward man. And what God is saying is, I lay claim to both of those. And I want you to present your body unto me as a living sacrifice. You remember in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, when the writer talked about how we are to offer unto God the fruit of our lips. And he said it was a sacrifice of praise unto God. God is interested in us offering spiritual sacrifices. Our lives are to be spiritual in nature, aren't they? We live in a carnal world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. We're not to be like the world because we've been called out. Matter of fact, the word church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Peter said we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light, who in time past had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Who were not the people of God, but He said now are the people of God. So there is this exhortation. And Paul said it is our reasonable or logical service. In other words, since you've obeyed the gospel and you belong to God, it would only be reasonable or logical that you present yourself as a living sacrifice. And that sacrifice is to be holy. We have been set apart. We've been sanctified, haven't we? Back in Romans chapter 1, when he talked about how that the saints in Rome, they were the beloved of God and that they were called to be saints. Sanctification simply means to be set apart. We've been set apart from the world unto God. We belong to Him. Now, there's a second thing Paul addresses here. First, it has to do with an exhortation to the saints. But then there is the consecration, or rather the transformation of the saints. Look, if you would, at verse 2. In verse 2, Paul said, And be not conformed unto this world. What Paul is saying here is, there is an inherent danger that we face as children of God. What is that inherent danger? It is the possibility of being conformed to the world. There's a translation, the Phillips translation, that renders verse 2. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. That's the idea right there. Don't allow the world to get a stranglehold on you don't allow the world to change who you are and what you are. You're not to be conformed unto the world. Why? Because you belong to God. You've been set apart. You're to present your body a living sacrifice. It is to be a holy sacrifice. A sacrifice that is acceptable to God. And so, the danger. Conformity to the world. Do you remember what John said in 1 John chapter 2? He talked about the danger of the world and the fact that the world is constantly trying to pour us into its mold. The devil operates through the world, doesn't he? And John said, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
And then he said, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, are not of the Father, but are of the world. And then note this, and the world passes away. If we allow ourselves to get entangled once again in the world, we are hooking our wagon to a system that will not endure time. And so John's saying you need to be on guard. You need to understand something about the world. Now, there's the danger of conformity, and secondly, the danger of corruption. You remember when Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2, he talked about those who have forsaken the right way? And then he addressed those who had escaped the corruptions or the pollutions that are in the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he said they are again entangled therein and overcome. What happened? They went back to the world. What is the drawing power of the world? How does the world appeal to those of us who belong to God, to God, who are members of the body of Christ. Well, the devil uses the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And the devil promises us so many things, doesn't he? Does he ever deliver? The devil's interested in entrapping and entangling those of us who belong to God. And Peter's saying, look, you can't allow that to happen. You belong to God. You are someone of like faith. God has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We have all these great promises, riches in Christ. Why would we, why would we lay those aside for what the world has to offer? Can the devil make the world look appealing? Didn't Moses, by faith, forsake the treasures in Egypt, choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin? Listen to him, for a season. To understand that whatever this world has to offer, it is temporary, it is transitory. The world as we know it is terminal. And so, Peter and other inspired writers are saying, look, we can't allow ourselves to fall into that trap. So there is this danger. But then, what's the duty then? Is there a specific duty entrusted into our care? We are stewards of God, aren't we? And so the Apostle Paul said that we are to be transformed people, aren't we? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. The transformation occurs when? When we obey the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul contrasts that old man in sin with the new man in Christ. That old way of life is said to be put to death. We give up the love and the practice of sin, don't we? As Paul said, God forbid that I should glory saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul's simply saying, look, I put that way of life to death. I am a transformed child of God. Transformed by what? By the power of God. 
Think about the people to whom Paul wrote in Corinth. The city of Corinth was a moral cesspool of evil, wasn't it? Immorality, idolatry. Corinth would, would mirror many of our modern day cities today. What was present in the first century is certainly typical of many cities all across our country. And yet, to those very people, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he would say, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul, were you a new creation in Christ when you obeyed the gospel? Yes. Wasn't it Paul who said, This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm chief? Paul had persecuted the church, bound many who were followers of the way, consented to the death of some. He said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. But the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul was a changed man. He was a transformed person, wasn't he? Those of us who belong to God, we are to be transformed people. That's what Paul's saying here. So here's the question. How's that come about? Paul said, by the renewing of your mind. When you became a Christian, when I became a Christian, there were certain things that I had to lay aside, as did you. And so there's a void or a vacuum in life. The question then, how are we going to fill that void or vacuum? We've got to remove the old, and we've got to replace that with the new. So how do we do that? By God's Word. In other words, we take God's Word, we internalize it, make application, and then we bear fruit as we live here on planet Earth. Think about the psalmist in the long ago. The psalmist said that he meditated on the law of Jehovah and he did that day and night. If you and I were to spend time day and night reading, studying, and meditating on the Word of God, would that transform how we think? Would it make a difference in how we act? Sure it would. God's Word has that kind of power, doesn't it? Sometimes people want to minimize the power of God's Word. When the Apostle Paul stood before the elders of the church at Ephesus while in Miletus, you remember he said in verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, listen to him, which is able to build you up. Peter said that we are to desire the sincere milk of the word that we might grow thereby. Peter would also say that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how then do we grow? We spend time in that book, don't we? Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I can tell you this, if you spend time in this book every day, it will change how you think. It will change how you act. It will also change how you react in life. Why? Because it has that kind of power. You remember the Hebrew writer said the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. No wonder the psalmist said in the long ago, my heart stands in awe of your Word. To understand that God's Word has the power to change my life for the better. 
There are a lot of folks in our world tonight, they're trying to make a go of life on their own, aren't they? And some have tried this and others have tried that. Some have sought fame and popularity. Others have accentuated material things and material acquisitions. Some have sought out pleasure. And they've tried all these different things, and yet the bottom line is no satisfaction, no contentment, no happiness. You ever thought about just giving God a try? Let me tell you what. You spend time in this book for the next 30 days every day. I can tell you this, it'll change you. The problem in our world is we think we know more than God. And so we haven't given God a chance. As God's people, we're supposed to be distinctive. We are different. And because we are distinctive and different, that means we've got to get our minds right, don't we? So there is this transformation. The transformation that is to be a part of every child of God. But then there's a second thought. The transformation brings about what I would call a manifestation. When you internalize this word, as Paul said, that we are to be renewed in our mind. All right, so we take God's word, we feed upon it, we internalize it, we meditate on it day and night. Here's the question. Is it going to make a difference in how I live every day? It ought to. That's what Paul's saying here. Be not conformed to the world, but rather be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you take the Word of God and you apply it to your life, then ultimately what you become is Christ-like in your behavior, don't you? Isn't Jesus the benchmark? Isn't He the standard? Didn't Paul say, be followers of me even as I also am of Christ? Peter said that we are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. How then do I develop the mind of Christ? How do I become more like Christ? Spend time in His Word. And in so doing, what happens? I become Christ-like in my behavior. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he said, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believers in word, in conduct, in spirit, in faith, in love, in purity. In other words, Timothy, you show the world what it means to be a Christian. People know that you're a child of God by how you conduct your affairs every day? Do people know that there's something different about you where you work? That you're not just one of the, you're not just one of the run-of-the-mill people in the world? Do they sense something different about how you talk? The language that you use or don't use? You know, it's odd that we live in a world today where profanity is so prevalent that when someone doesn't use profanity, it stands out, doesn't it? I mean, it just jars you. Paul said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Why? Because we belong to God. Because we've changed how we think. And how we think ultimately regulates how we behave. What God is saying is we ought to behave ourselves 
as Christians. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he said, But if I tarry long, that you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God, the church of the living God. We are members of the body of Christ. We belong to Christ. As the Hebrew writer said, we are the church of the firstborn. Our names have been registered in heaven. So in light of that, there ought to be something different about us. As Peter said, you're an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So in the community, do people know that you belong to Christ? When you engage in athletic endeavors, whatever your chosen sport or hobby, do people know that you belong to Christ? Do they know that Christ comes first in your life? You see, when you read this book and you saturate your mind with the will of Almighty God, first and foremost, Jesus is going to be number one, right? Didn't Jesus say, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? And you're going to love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Why? Because you've been transformed. That transformation leads to a manifestation. You're different. You're distinct. You belong to God. You're a servant of God. Third thing that I want to share with you tonight. First, there's the exhortation. Secondly, the transformation. And thirdly, the consecration. So, pick up now in Romans chapter 12. And drop down, if you would, and note verse 4 beginning. Paul here is going to talk about our relationship to the Lord. First, he's going to address our relationship to the Lord. Secondly, he'll talk about our responsibilities in the Lord. So note if you would, first and foremost, Paul says that there is placement in the body. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ. When you became a child of God, the Bible says that God added you to the church. You didn't join the church. You weren't voted into the church. But rather, Acts chapter 2, we have the pattern for how God adds to the church. People believe in the gospel. They put their faith and trust in Jesus. They repent of sin. They confess His name. They're baptized into Christ, and then, as Luke said, the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13? Paul said, by one spirit we are baptized into one body. God is the one who places us in that divine body. So if you are a baptized believer, you are part of the body of Christ. So there's our placement in the body, but then secondly, our place in the body. Paul said, there are many members, but one body. And he said, not all the members have the same function. What's Paul saying there? You and I as children of God are unique in our relationship to the Lord, aren't we? We've been placed in the body, but we must find our place in the body. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul draws an analogy between the various members of the human body and the body of Christ. The church is one body, just one church. But the church is comprised of many members. We are said to be, as Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we are living stones, built up a spiritual house. So have you found your place, your niche, in the body of Christ? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the importance of every member of our physical body. How important is your hand and your arm? How important are your legs and your feet? Your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your tongue, your nose. All of these various members have a specific function, don't they? I mean, God didn't, didn't fit us with the same member. In other words, we don't have four legs, we don't have four arms, we don't have four eyes. No, we're one body, but we have unique members. And the members in our human body, the members of our human body, they have specific things that God designed them for. And so as a child of God, you have unique talents or abilities. Abilities that I don't possess, but that are specific to you. And you can use those abilities or those talents to the glory of God. So, in Romans chapter 12, first he talks about our relationship to the Lord. As I said a minute ago, we're married to Christ. And Paul makes the case in Romans chapter 6 that we are to use the instruments of our body, the members of our body, as instruments of righteousness. But now note, if you would, in the second place, our responsibilities in the Lord. You see, there are certain things that God wants us to do as members of His body. The church exists to do what? To glorify God, Ephesians 3.21. So the Apostle Paul, in a very specific way, talks about how we as His people can fulfill the responsibilities for which we have been created. Now, you remember in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast of glory. In verse 10, though, he said, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before prepared that we should walk in them. And so what Paul's saying is, we have been saved to serve. It ought to be a labor of love. It ought to be something that we want to do. We're challenged to be fruitful and work, working in the kingdom of God, but we ought to want to be fruitful and working in the kingdom of God, shouldn't we? So listen to what Paul says. Number one, he says, we are to love one another. He said, let love be without hypocrisy. Be kindly affectioned one to another in brotherly love. Isn't love one of the undergirding principles of Christianity? We talk about loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. But Jesus said, 
A second, like unto that first commandment, is we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. The call to love wasn't new to the disciples in the first century. What, what was it then that was new? Jesus said, A new commandment I give you. The newness of the command was the depth of love to which they were to love one another. Jesus said, As I have loved you, you also love one another. Peter would say, Let brotherly love continue. John writes in 1 John chapter 4, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The church is to be characterized by people who love one another. And listen, when we love one another, we serve one another, don't we? So in Romans chapter 12, he talks about how we're to love one another. And as God's people, we are to share with one another. He said, distributing to the needs of the saints. Go back and look at Acts chapter 2. See how the early church, see how they shared with one another. They were concerned about the fiscal welfare of fellow members of the body of Christ. And so because of that, they shared their goods with others. We have the opportunity to share with other people. Didn't Paul say, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Jesus said, I was hungry. What would you do? He said, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. He said, I was naked. You clothed me. A stranger, you took me in. Sick and in prison, he said, you visited me. So we love one another. We share with one another. And Paul said, we care for one another. Listen to him in verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. In Galatians 6, 2, Paul said, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We have the opportunity to show our love for others by caring for them. We share and we care. That's what a child of God is. You know, one of the great things about being a part of the body of Christ is we are a part of a mighty brotherhood. It's amazing what a great brotherhood of believers we have. You can go to any city, any state, any country, and if you meet people who are a part of the body of Christ, listen, you're with family, aren't you? And you're with people that ought to love you, that ought to share with you, and ought to care for you. And why is that? Because that's who we are. That's what characterizes us as God's people. Then there's another quality, and that is we're to be at peace with one another. Paul would write, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, in this context... He talks about being wronged by another person. Does that hurt? Yes. You ever been gutted by somebody? You ever had somebody take advantage of you? Hurt you? Cut you deeply? I suspect we all have. The tendency is to what? Take matters into our own hands and try to sell the score, even the score. You know, if, you, if you've done me wrong, guess what? I'll do you wrong. You got me? I'll get you. Paul's saying, look, that's not how a child of God acts. No, what Paul is saying is, we've got to put it in the hands of God. 
We want to be peaceable. We want to live peacefully with one another. We want to be forgiving of one another. If we have problems with one another, we try to reconcile those problems, don't we? And we want to exercise what Paul said in Ephesians 4.32. We're to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. So Paul said, listen, maybe somebody has wronged you. Maybe somebody has gutted you. Maybe somebody's taken advantage of you. You need to understand, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God said, I will repay. Listen, there's coming a day when God will settle all the scores, won't He? Are there injustices in life? Are there times in life when we feel as if we got the short end of the, end of the stick? That somebody did us wrong and they got away with it? Listen, what Paul's saying here is nobody gets away with anything. But here's what he said that I think is so amazing. If your enemy hungers, feed him. That's amazing, isn't it? Listen to what he said. If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. Somebody says, that's not natural. Tell me what's natural about living a Christian life. Tell me what's natural about loving those that hate you and persecute you and despise you, and yet that's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because we are transformed people. There's this transformation and a manifestation. We're not like the world. We don't act like the world. We don't think like the world. We don't dress like the world because we're different. And so Paul said, look, if your enemy hungers, you feed him. If he thirsts, you give him something to drink. In so doing, he said, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. And then listen to this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I know the tendency is to want to settle score. That's how we think sometimes. And sometimes I want to take matters into my own hand. And what Paul's saying is I can't do that. I don't have that right. I don't have that liberty. Why? Because it's God. God's the one that'll take care of all that. So I just stand to the side, and in God's own good time, He will settle all the injustices of life. So where do you stand in your relationship to God? Christianity is a great life, isn't it? It takes a lot of work to live a Christ-like life, doesn't it? I'm not perfect, far from it. But I know this. If I do my best day in and day out, and I try to live as God wants me to live, He'll be pleased, won't He? One of the most amazing statements Jesus ever made, I think, found in John chapter 8. Jesus said, I always do those things which please my Father. It's all about pleasing God. If you're here tonight, I didn't realize it was almost 7 o'clock. My bad. I need to get the clock fixed. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, why not do that tonight? Why not become a child of God this evening? What would you need to do? Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Confess His name. Be buried with Him in baptism. 
Rise to walk in newness of life and then be faithful unto death, the promise being the crown of life. If you're here tonight and maybe your life's not what it ought to be and you want to make things right, listen, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. One of our elders would be happy to pray with you tonight and for you collectively. Won't you come as we stand and sing? Thank <laughs> you.